Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the Cardiac Ring Kids Cleveland Sports Podcast. In today's show, we're going to be going over our Browns draft prospects. We're going to be talking our free agency spotlight on the wide receiver position. Then we're going to get into the Cavs. They're heating up a little bit. Uh, the return of Kevin Love, all that good stuff. Then we're going to do our Indians player spotlight as well. Then we're going to finish off with our games of the week and then finally our hot takes just like every episode. So without any further ado, let's get it on. So being a Cleveland Brown is way more than just playing football. It's about being an elf. All right, today's episode, we're going to be uh, starting off talking about some Cleveland Browns action. Not a lot going on in the world of the NFL at the moment, uh, other than the big Robert Kraft story, but I feel like we should definitely not touch on that. Uh, the big news for the Browns specifically, we did sign receiver Jalen Strong. We'll get into depth on that a little bit more. Uh, our free agent breakdown today will be about the receiver position, so that works out perfectly. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit about the combine as well as the start of free agency for the NFL. Uh, we'll give you some key dates and times to look out for. But first, we're going to start with the prospect of the week. Uh, Brandon, would you like to go ahead and do your prospect first? Yeah, the prospect I'm looking at this week uh, is an inside linebacker. His name is Cleo Hodge. He's out of Buffalo. Um, he's kind of he's going to be a later round guy, but he's somebody I think can kind of have a sneaky uh, impact for the Browns if they decided to go his direction. Um, he, not in the same uh, play style, but the same level of impact maybe Jannard Avery have because he's probably going to be between rounds like four and six. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a six foot one, two hundred thirty five linebacker. He actually put on some weight. Uh, going into his senior season to help make himself a more NFL build uh, in preparation, you know, for a senior year, knowing he's going to be going into the draft. Okay. Uh, like I said, I think he's one of those sleeper prospects. He's got a lot of really good numbers. He's in the Mac, but even so, he, he he's really put up some, some good numbers. And so I'm just going to go over – his three season, his last three seasons there. In 2016, he ranked 13th uh, overall in total tackles in college football, and that was second overall in the MAC. Uh, then in 2017, he w- had the second most tackles in college football with 153, which wow. was first in the MAC. And then last year was tied for fifth with 143, which was also you know second in the MAC. So. He's always in there making tackles. Production, and yeah. Yeah, he, he, he's definitely a heavy producer. Um, and as far as some of his positives, that's, he's he's got sticky hands. Um, everything I saw about him, if he gets his hands on the ball carrier, he's going to find a way to bring him down, or he's going to slow him down enough to you know get the gang tackle going. Well, Browns need a sure tackler. That's Absolutely. Sure. That's, that's something they have really been lacking is – you know, missed tackles has been a big issue for them. Uh, another good thing about him is he's not necessarily like fast. Like he's not going to run like the fastest forty time. He's probably going to be around like the four seven four eight range, but he's quick, and he's also very good at avoiding blockers. So a guy's going to come at him. He's going to swim move around him and put himself in a good position to make a tackle. You know, for say on like run plays. And he's also not going to get completely destroyed in coverage, too. Like, he's shown, at least at the college level, that he can hold his own in coverage. Um, In 2018, uh, he actually was the had the second best passer rating, or, well, worst passer rating, I should say, when targeted. Okay. Um, that's according to Pro Football Focus. Again, one of my one of my favorite sites for the advanced analytics. Um, so he can kind of do it all and do it well, like any everything you want from that inside linebacker player. Uh, one of the comparisons I saw of him, like the pro compar- comparison, was Roquan Smith. That kind of 
kind of perked my ears up. That's kind of one of the things that made me want to go into uh, this guy is because that was a very intriguing, intriguing name. I saw that and I was like, okay, I want to, I want to know what this guy's really about and why he's getting that comparison. Um, some of the negatives on him though is, like I said, he's not going to be the fastest guy. He's not catching up, and he might struggle hanging with NFL receivers mm-hmm. when when he, you know, kind of comes across like a slot guy that becomes his responsibility to guard. He could kind of get lost in that situation. Um, and another thing is he's not coming out of a big school, and that's that's always going to be an extra barrier for guys like that to overcome is – they can put up, you know, big numbers, but a lot of people are just going to, you know, make the excuse like, oh, that's just because he didn't play anybody good. And that could be the case, but that's definitely going to just be one thing that kind of is like a stain that's going to might hold him back a little bit. And that's what's going to make him fall to the later rounds. But I think overall, I mean, his production speaks for itself. Like I said, being the leading tackler, one of the leading tacklers and not just the Mac, but all of college football for the last three years. And he's gotten better and better each year. Um, he hasn't been, he's not, he's not a guy who's going to be rushing the quarterback. I think he only had, uh, one sack in his first season and then a total like four over the the last two, Mm -hmm. but he's had, I, I believe averaged seven tackles for loss in his three seasons. So yeah, he's, he's just really good at, like I said, one of his his best qualities is using his swim swim move to avoid blockers to be able to go and get the running back and make a tackle. Yeah, it seems like for Hodge, at worst, he would be a special teams demon. You know, that yeah. type of guy. Go down, make a play. So, yeah, I, I like Hodge a lot. I think, uh, obviously, two different players, but you know who else came out from Buffalo? Who's that? Khalil Mack. Oh, really? He did. So, well, so that's why they're... That, yeah, so... But, I, yeah, I do, I do like Hodge as a player, definitely. Yeah, and I think he's somebody um, who can come in, maybe get thrown in rotation for, you know, with Joe Schobert, if, and depending on, you know, there's a, there's all kinds of different packages they throw out in the NFL defensively. So you're going to have opportunities for him to be in the game. And I think he's not somebody who's going to come out right away and be like your three down middle linebacker or anything like that. But at least in a couple years, I think he will be given opportunities, whatever team he goes to, to show that in a limited role he can do something and that could possibly blossom into a bigger role. Yeah, and for the Browns, we're luckily in a position where we don't need a starting middle linebacker with Schobert already commanding that. So adding depth there I think would definitely be a great thing. And we have three fifth-round draft picks coming up, so if Hodge is still sitting on the board there, that's definitely somebody I hope they look into. Yeah, absolutely. My prospect this week, I'm going to talk about Ja'Kai Polite. He's a edge rusher from the University of Florida. Six foot two. He's going to probably weigh in around 240, 250. 21-year-old uh, uh, junior. He's going to be 22 here uh, in March. He's got some pretty good career stats, 20 and a half career tackles for loss with uh, 15, or I'm sorry, 19 and a half uh, coming last year alone. He also has 15 career sacks with 11 of them coming uh, from last year alone. So play definitely had a really big jump from sophomore to junior year. Uh, Some good things about play. He has some pretty good pass moves. He has a very, very quick burst. He's f- very freakishly athletic. So when you put all those three things combined in a edge player, it's a great combination of everything. Yeah, that, that's a good makeup for a good pass rusher for sure. Oh, yeah, and his arch uh, speed and bend on the edge is ridiculous as well. Uh, he'll test very good at the combine if he ends up doing everything. Uh, change of direction skills is very good as well. If he reads a ball carrier in the backfield, he's able to adjust and make plays on them. Uh, he's very good at strip sacks. Last year, he had six forced fumbles, and a lot of those came on uh, passing attempts from his sacks. So I think having a guy who can cause more turnovers on this defense would be a great thing. With As good as Miles Garrett is, one thing is he and he had fully admits this himself as he wants to make more 
game-changing plays, more turnovers. So I think having a guy like Poi on the opposite edge would really help Garrett as well. Um, he's also very tough, very physical, and very aggressive, which is definitely the type of guy you want on the edge and a guy who would be great like that on our defense. Yeah. Uh, a couple negatives. Uh, the weight and length is a bit of an issue. 6'2 is not huge, but it's not super short. Arm length, we'll have to see what he measures at the combine. Mm-hmm. Uh, 240 pounds, I'm not a big fan of. He, need, I would like to see him at 265, 270. If that is able, if he's able to maintain his speed and bend while adding the extra 25, 30 pounds, I don't know if he can. Uh, and then holding the point of attack, which is something he could improve on while adding weight. Yeah. So he might end up being a better fit for the three, four defense kind of as an outside linebacker. But again, in today's NFL, you don't exactly have the one specific defense that you're going to run a majority of the time. There's a lot of different packages and bases and things like that. Yeah. Just like I was saying with mine, they just, you, they mix it up so much that there's use for pretty much every type of player. It's not, you know, trying to, pick certain players for one system because you just kind of run them all today exactly yeah so i think play is going to end up going probably top 13 top 12 so we would probably have to end up trading up for him but with us having multiple draft picks more than the standard seven slots again this year i think he would be somebody we would definitely be interested in moving up for uh he could end up being one of the top three two or three pass rushers from this draft class besides bosa and josh allen so if he's there if he somehow slides 17 i would definitely jump on jump on it for sure but uh he's definitely a guy to keep out during the combine he's definitely a guy who's going to test really well so it'll be interesting to see what he ends up weighing in his arm length and things like that so you think he's he's one of the the top guys like we want that's probably going to go in the first round yeah and i i Again, I think he's going to go top 12, top 13. Don't be surprised, though, if he's a guy who rises late. You can see and hear him in that top 7, top 8 kind of talk, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially teams trying to trade up to get him. He's got that freakish type of athleticism and speed. So if you have a need for an edge rusher and Allen and Bosa are gone, I could definitely see... uh, somebody trading up or somebody pulling the trigger a little bit earlier than people think. Yeah. And before we move on, just a a couple quick notes. I was listening to the local radio station, 92.3, the fan. Uh, They had the weekend guy on Garrett Bush and he was talking about if he, he, he thinks if for some reason Bosa slid, like I'm not very far, but like even to three that he thinks John Dorsey would, really consider pulling the trigger and try, trying to make some kind of move to trade up for him and don't, i personally would love that i don't, don't see it would happen don't don't count on bosa oh. escaping the top two yeah which that was also accompanied by the thought that kingsbury would and the cardinals would just trade josh on away to draft kyler murray which i don't see happening you know there's some history history there that would suggest it was a possibility but i think when they're in the reality of that situation now i just don't see it being a direction there they can really go they might but uh, if arizona is stupid enough to draft kyler murray over nick bosa then the 49ers at number two need to jump all over that oh yeah oh yeah or if I was the Raiders sitting at number, I believe they're at number four. Yeah. I use one of my, I would even use my late, my third late first round draft pick to move up mm-hmm. a couple spots just to get Bosa. I think he's going to be that good, that type of impact player. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of mad at, at G Bush for uh, getting my hopes up like that or even putting right. that thought in my head because I know it's not going to happen, but I just thought it was a, a little interesting tidbit sure before right. we, before we move on while we're talking about like edge rushers right and, and that kind of position oh. so we're going to move on into the free agency spotlight uh we are doing wide receivers this week we're going to be talking about a wide receiver we already picked up in free agency and we are also going to talk about some of the other options that are available we're going to take a quick break and get on to that 
Okay, so moving along, we're getting into the free agency spotlight this week. We're doing the wide receiver position. Before we get into the player we the Browns have already picked up and the other wide receiver options, we're going to go over the current state of the wide receiver room uh, and then also hear Mark's rating on it. So, Mark, mic is yours. Yeah, so just a quick rundown from who we currently have on the roster uh, obviously, we have guys like Jarvis Landry, Antonio Callaway. Uh, looks like we're going to be bringing back Richard Higgins, which is definitely a great thing. Uh, Damian Ratley showed a little bit of promise in the limited time that he was here. Uh, Derek Willies, the guy who had that one big game against Baltimore, uh, kind of a little bit forgotten now at this point. Yeah. Uh, another forgotten guy would be Ricardo Lewis. He didn't play all all of last year with a neck injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, look for him to come back and try and compete for a roster spot. Uh, we also had Rod Streeter, who I would think will get cut prior to training camp unless they just yeah, want some bodies. I agree. Uh, Blake Jackson was a guy I believe was active on the roster the last week of the season. Mm-hmm. And obviously now the new guy that we picked up, which is uh, Jalen Strong. Yeah, we uh, just... Signed Jalen Strong. He was a, a guy who was drafted in 2015 by the Texans. He which, was a, a third-round pick, correct? Yeah, he was okay. a third-round pick. Um, so, you know, with a third-round wide receiver, there, there's promise there. They always have an opportunity, you know, especially in that that range, to come in and make an impact. But it seemed like he never really solidified a significant role with them was never really to gain any traction and get any momentum going. Um, And and that was also, they didn't have the greatest wide receiving crew. Obviously, they had DeAndre Hopkins. But, you know, before Braxton Miller and even even he's not a great option, but, like you know, Will Fuller, like, they didn't have a really deep receiving core. So it was kind of puzzling when I went back and looked at his stats and saw he only had, I believe like 14 receptions yeah it's too bad it's too bad braxton miller didn't work out there i hope he kind of heals up and finds a home somewhere yeah and and looking at jalen strong just just coming out of college he looked like a really really promising player um he's got really good size he's six foot two but with that size uh he's all he also ran a 444 and the for the 40 yard dash Mm -hmm. and i mean that you know that size. He's uh, 217 pounds, so he's got a nice little build too. F- to combine that with the speed, you'd think that would make for a real dangerous threat, and that's why you know coming in to Cleveland, some people are kind of saying, "Oh, this could be like Perryman 2.0. Like sure. he could have a similar revival." Um, so after three years with the Texans, he actually was suspended in 2017 for uh, substance abuse. He was caught with marijuana. Um, That kind of led to him getting cut by the Texans. Um, After that happened, the Jacksonville Jaguars picked him up, decided to give him another shot. But kind of early in his career with the the Jags, he suffered a torn ACL in his left knee. So that was kind of a quick over you know done and over opportunity there and then he ended up getting cut by them or i don't know if he got cut or if he just had a one-year deal with them and he's just kind of they let him walk yeah regardless he was Um, yeah so yeah so the browns decided to take a flyer on this guy give him a shot i think he's somebody who if he comes back healthy and i think if he's gonna have to earn the role but i think if he gets on the field a significant amount i think he's a guy who could make an impact yeah i think the signing does not look good on the Perriman front. It could be no correlation at all. Yeah. There's been a little bit of rumbling that Perriman's asking for a pretty good chunk of change, which although the Browns have the cap space, you don't want to really pay a guy who showed up for, you know, second half of the season. And although he was good with us, it's not like he was a pro bowler by any means. So I would like to have Perriman back, but only if the price is right, if Perriman is not back, Strong seems like a good candidate to kind of fill his role. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they're going to look into the draft and just try and add as much talent everywhere. But you might as well give him a shot and see what he's got. Yeah, I agree. I uh, Overall, I like the signing. He had his issues had you know with the suspension. 
and then also with the injury. So it, it's it's really just taking a flyer on the guy and just seeing what you get when you bring him into camp and see where he's at. Um, so now we want to switch gears and go into the wide receivers that are out there that the Browns could still look at if they're still looking to pick up another wide receiver. Uh, who who Who's the first guy you uh, think the Browns should look for? Yeah, so the first guy I think uh, would make sense if they truly believe that Jarvis Landry is an outside receiver. I don't buy it. I think Landry's a very good slot, but if they yeah. are so stuck on making Landry an outside guy, uh, I would take a look at Adam Humphreys. Uh, coming off a career year out in Tampa Bay, he had 76 catches for 816 yards and five touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, the year before, 61 catches, 631 yards, and a touchdown. They have a lot of weapons out there between Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, uh, O.J. Howard, uh, Cameron Bray. So uh, I believe Deshaun Jackson's more than likely gone from there. Yeah. So uh, they might look to re-sign Humphreys, but if he is able to get on the market, I think he would be a nice little addition in the slot. Kind of opens up the field for Callaway going down the middle. Uh, or, excuse me, Callaway going up the field, and Joku coming up the middle, uh, Landry, you know, all sorts of spots. So he would be, I think he'd be a pretty good fit. And, you know, Baker doesn't need that huge target to throw to. Baker needs guys who can catch the ball and get open. And that's Humphrey's go to right there. I agree. And uh, like you said, they already have, uh, or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a good, or had a good wide receiver core. Like you said, with Mike Evans, Godwin, uh, Cameron Brait, but he was still putting up pretty good numbers. I mean, that 800 yards, that's not complete, you know, that's not total scrub numbers there. So, right. be able to put that up and, uh, you know, even if it's just in that slot role, I agree. Um, the only thing I don't see is I don't think Landry needs to be that outside receiver. I don't think they need to force that. If we're in a one or two wide receiver set, fine. But if we're if we got three or more receivers on the field, I think Landry's position needs to be in that slot role. Definitely, yeah. He, I mean, Landry's not gonna outrun anybody. He's not gonna outmuscle anybody. No, he's but, gonna he's gonna get open with sharp cuts, and right. he's gonna hold on to the ball in tight windows, which is exactly what you look for out of that slot position. Right. Uh, another guy who could fit that outside role and fit that number one, number two receiver would be Tyrell Williams. Uh, now, Tyrell Williams is a couple years removed from his career year. Uh, in 2016, he had 69 catches, 1,059 yards, and seven touchdowns. Uh, I believe Keenan Allen was either out most of or the entire year that year. Yeah. Uh, the last couple seasons, Williams has had over 40 catches, over 650 yards, and at least four touchdowns. So, Williams, a good thing about him, six foot four, two oh five. I feel like Williams is going to be asking a lot of money more than I would feel comfortable uh, signing a guy like that to. However, if the market's a little stagnant for him and he realizes he's not going to get crazy dollars on the open market, then I really think he would be a great guy to have to pair with Landry, to pair with Callaway and Joku. I think that'd be a really nice fit for somebody like that in our offense yeah i don't think there's any uh free agent wide receivers available that you're going to be throwing that number one or even number two wide receiver money at uh so i i agree if if be somebody you can get for a little bit cheaper because he realizes there there's not that big of a market but you know what there's going to be teams that really need uh another top wide receiver at at their on their depth chart and you know one of those teams could overpay for him i could totally see that so but if not um i would i'd be open to looking at him for sure yeah definitely uh the last guy i'm gonna talk about i I haven't heard his name thrown a lot out there for a browns target but i would keep an eye on randall cobb now pretty well known he's had some injuries in the past uh three years or so Oh, yeah. He only played nine games this past year, played 15 the year before that, 13 the year before that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dynamic guy, though, 12 yards uh, per reception throughout his career. Uh, 
His best year was in 2014. He had 91 catches, 1,287 yards, and 12 touchdowns, uh, which he made the Pro Bowl that year. Cobb is a guy who is only 5'10", about a buck 92. I think he's lost a little bit of speed with his injuries. But yeah. around the trade deadline last year, I was told by somebody I trust that we had a little bit of discussions with Green Bay involving a trade with him. Okay. Never got too serious. But then again, it's obvious the Packer connection between Dorsey, between Highsmith, between Elliot Wolf. It's all there. Yeah, he he's definitely a very uh, quarterback friendly wide receiver. He's he's a, a veteran at this point. He's got a really high IQ. Like I said, his physical tools aren't going to be where they used to be. But he's he's coming in to have that more well, at least when he's on the field, that reliable. I'm not going to say reliable in the sense because, like you said, he had injuries and stuff sure. like that. But he when he is on the field, he he's that guy you can rely to help your quarterback when you know he's struggling like give him you know he's gonna be if you throw him the ball he's gonna hold on to it and he's gonna get open whenever he you know the quarterback is scrambling out of the pocket he, he's just he's aware he's got a high iq he has always been you know before Devonte adams came around he was aaron Rodgers' guy like him him and Rodger, jordy nelson yeah. yeah him and jordy nelson like the they were just they had that that connection with Rodgers, and if you could you know, bring him in in a in a role where maybe he comes in on some of the the later downs or you know more crucial positions. He's somebody who's you know got his head on straight. Will hold on to the ball and be able to provide you know provide in clutch more clutch situations. Yeah, and you know one thing you could say about him as well as Tyrell Williams is they both played with very good quarterbacks, mm-hmm. uh, probably two future Hall of Famers. Yeah, so absolutely. being able to work with guys like that. And, you know, Baker wants to take that next step next year. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that only helps, definitely. They'll be able to kind of help Baker, you know, throughout some different things as well. So I think if we can get any three of those guys, I think that'd be great. If not, I would definitely look into the draft to continue to add talent to that room. Uh, But overall, I mean, I have as the room itself a six and a half out of ten think if you add one of those guys you bump it up to seven and a half ish eight maybe uh because you know these aren't just because it's the receiver room we're not talking about guys like njoku kareem hunt nick chubb duke johnson overall weapons if you add one of these free agent wide receivers puts us at a pretty nice spot and gives baker a lot of toys to play with yeah yeah definitely We, we didn't even mention those guys but if you include them definitely a couple extra weapons for sure yeah definitely so uh a few dates just to keep your eyes out for coming up here the combine actually starts on tuesday the 26th and that runs through the following monday which is march 4th uh there's obviously guys that we've covered that uh will be at the combine the only player i believe that won't be at the combine that we covered was jeffrey simmons Mm -hmm. uh along with his off-the-field stuff, he recently tore his ACL. Uh, so that we'll probably tweet out during the Combine as well, give you guys some guys we really like or keep an eye on or people who maybe have underperformed. Uh, the legal tampering period starts March 11th through March 13th, and then at 4 o'clock on the 13th, NFL free agency actually begins. So, so that's that's when the legal tampering is when they can kind of start making calls to some of the yep. the free agents and start talking about deals and yep. kind of start getting some things in place. Talk to the agents, talk to the players, see kind of what their thought is on you know money wise, situation wise, things like that. Um, yeah, I, I think it will be a very very busy day, and we're definitely going to do our best to keep up with the news and rumors on the Browns and hopefully we'll be talking about a lot of big signings here but yeah NFL offseason is really heating up and we will do our best to cover it all in the, the coming weeks
All right, guys, it's time to talk your Cleveland Cavaliers. The Cleveland Cavaliers are a 500 team in their last four games, at least. They are. They are. Uh, one big reason that they are actually winning the last couple games is because they beat the Suns and the Knicks. Oh, yeah. Two teams that actually have a worse record than the Cavaliers. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Another reason why is definitely because of Chetty Osman. Chetty's playing very, very well right now. Uh, his last four games, he's putting up pretty much borderline all-star numbers, which is great to see. He's one of my favorite players. I'm really excited to see him kind of grow over the year and blossom into a player that could really help this team in the future. Maybe not a star, maybe not even a number two guy, but a three and D guy, yeah. nice glue guy, you know, things like that. Yeah. And I, and I know this is a bad job out of me, but in regards to, to Jetty, I just recently came across an article and I believe it was before the all-star break, but he had a six game stretch where he's averaging 20 points a game. Um, and I think, I think the last couple of games, I don't know if he's, he's kept up with that, but that was definitely encouraging to see. Um, another uh, player that's been helping out a lot is uh, Matthew Delavadova. It, it seems like since since we brought him in and he's starting to get more and more minutes and really starting to play, he's helping with the ball movement. Um, I think in the last podcast or the, the last episode or the one before that, we mentioned no Cavaliers all season have had double digits and assists, and he actually just reached that mark, I believe, a game or two ago. Yeah, he had 13. So he is really kind of moving the ball, and it's becoming contagious, and I think that's something that's really helping with the product on the floor, and I think that's why they have been in these games more and were able to win the two against the Knicks and the Suns. Yeah, and, I mean, they just took the new – or. Almost in New Jersey, the Brooklyn Nets to triple overtime the other day, which is a very good team. They're about five hundred, I believe. They're the sixth seed right now in the East. Yeah. So that was a. There's no such thing as a good loss, but that was as good of a loss as you're going to see. Definitely. Hey, the comeback is real. We were talking playoffs in the beginning. Maybe they just went out. No. <laughs> eh, easy. Yeah. One one other factor I think that has really helped this team is the return of Kevin Love. Cleveland, are you feeling the love? <laughs> as good of a guy as he seems like he is and as good of a player, it, it actually is hurting our chances right now in the draft to have him return. Yeah, it's, it is, but I don't know how, how much of an impact. Obviously he's a good player. He's a player we've been missing and we've really struggled without him, but we weren't really doing that great with him before. Um, I was talking to earlier before the podcast, there was an article by the new beat reporter for the Cavs this year, uh, Chris Fedor. He's always been around in the Cleveland sports scene, but he's uh, been focusing on Cavs this year. And he was kind of mentioning where, on this issue and he was saying even if like the Cavs were to go 500 the rest of the season I believe the next team uh the next worst team uh was the Hawks they would have to win uh less than four games for us to you know surpass that mark and I guess that's kind of encouraging because neither of those scenarios are going to happen we're not going to go 500 and they're going to win a lot more in four games uh, so I think we're at least secure in that top three pick range or the the, the three wor worst records. Um, if we fall out of that, that's going to worry me. I would really obviously like at this point to be the worst team, which it, it, it sucks to be a fan and have to say that. But that's what you do when you're in tank mode and your basketball team is there's – there's guys like Zion Williamson and – uh, R.J. Barrett and Ja Morant, you know, coming out in this year's draft, and you have an opportunity to to put yourself in that position to pick, have your pick of those three guys. You know, you want that number one pick, so that's what they got to be careful with. But I think they'll stay in that at least bottom three. Yeah, uh, I mean, as long as we have a top three chance, we have a very good chance of going number one overall. Uh, 
definitely worst case scenario is if we end up getting a pick four lower. I think there's only three true franchise changing guys, like you said, between Williamson, Barrett, and my favorite guy, John Morant. So I, there's guys like Cam Reddish, uh, Bull Bull. Uh, there's there's other guys that could make a impact on our team, but mm-hmm. other than those three guys, there's not really a franchise altering guy. So we really need to cross our fingers, get a little bit lucky, and hopefully the ping pong balls go in our direction for sure. Yeah, and while we brought them up, uh, we wanted to just touch on the uh, Zion Williamson injury and. If you if you haven't heard, he you know he blew out his Nike shoe and sp- sprained his knee. Yep, it's a grade one sprain, yeah. which is pretty good, all things considered. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would expect to see him back on the court. I know there's a little bit of talk of potentially him not returning to make sure he stays healthy the rest of the year. However, I would really like to see him come back from this as long as he's fully healthy and at least you know help help Duke make a run. And for the March Madness aspect of it, yeah, and I think he will because the t- the team that Duke has right now, and they have some historically great players on that team, and I think if if they're all healthy going into the championship, it's gonna be a pretty strong run for them. And I think he needs to be present and you know to take up op- you know advantage of that opportunity to get himself a championship before moving on to the NBA. Yeah, I mean, Duke might end up, depending on how the NBA feels about Ja Morant and Cam Reddish, they could have the top three picks this year between Zion, RJ, and Cam. So, yeah, yeah, definitely a historic team in terms of overall talent, for sure. Yeah, and the last little topic we'll touch on real quick is just the upcoming schedule for the Cavs this week. Uh, Monday, the 25th, they are at home versus Portland. Thursday, they will be at New York. So, nice little break in between Portland and New York. Uh, Saturday, they're going to be at home against the Detroit Pistons. And then Sunday, they will be at home against the Orlando Magic. So, depending on how tonight's game finishes up against Memphis, they could end up winning two or three games here out of this next four, which would be a pretty nice little improvement from how bad we were early on so yeah but let's let's just hope not yeah win yeah win good games against maybe good teams lose against bad teams mm-hmm. show some improvement keep you know just like chucky's been doing for sure yeah let's play well and lose yeah perfect it's hit high hit deep to left down the line it goes it is gone on the right side, Kipnis diving toward his left, has it, gets up, throws, he got him! Swung on, hit high, hit deep to left, away, back, goal! Alright, so last topic of the day, uh, we're going to get into the Cleveland Indians. Today was actually the first spring training game that they've had this year. It ended up being a 3-3 tie with the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, I won't read through who all played and uh, give everybody stats, but a couple things to note here. Tyler Naquin had a solo home run. Uh, He actually batted fourth, I believe, as well, which is something just not really anything seriously to take under consideration. It's spring training. They're just trying to get guys at bats and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Adam Pletko started for the Indians. He pitched two innings of no-hit baseball with a strikeout. Um, And Ryan Flattery actually started at shortstop, and he went two for two with an RBI and a double. And more important, I think the most important is who ends up helping out the bullpen the most because that's still that in the outfield is still a big concern but i will touch on here in a little bit we actually made a pretty nice little uh, addition to our bullpen yeah um so one thing i wanted to touch on last week we didn't really have the time to do it um something i thought was kind of interesting is a website called Pakoda, they projected the Indians to have the best record, or be, at least be tied for the best record in Major League Baseball. It caught my eye, and it immediately made me burst out laughing, because I don't see that being a possibility. They had us projected 
a 97-65 record. I don't see that happening. Obviously, I think we're going to be at the top of our division again because our division is still fairly weak. But there's no way that we're going to have the best record in baseball. I thought that was just preposterous. Um, like I said, I wanted to, it came out a couple weeks ago. I wanted to touch on it last week. But I just wanted to bring that up and kind of get your thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, so Pakoda is actually considered one of the more accurate uh, projection type of websites out there for baseball standings. Wow. So this could really kill them. <laughs> that, uh, that being said, I agree that they're going to be wrong. We, yeah. I believe I'm going to double check myself here, but we ended up winning 91 games last year. Uh, Pakota has us projected at 96 or 97, I believe. Yeah. 98, somewhere around that range. It was 97 and 65. 97 and 65. We are worse in the outfield. We are worse in the bullpen. The Twins are going to be better. I think the gap between Minnesota and Cleveland is a lot smaller than people think. Um, but that being said, I still think we'll win the Central. I think we'll win anywhere from 88 to 92 games. We'll get swept in the first round of the playoffs again. It's a projection. There's no perfect math to it. Right. I don't understand their thinking, but, I mean, hey, I'd be thrilled if they won 97 games. Yeah, but it's just seeing, expecting us to win six more games after everybody they ended up letting walk and losing in the offseason. That's just ridiculous to me. But moving on, keep the ball rolling. It's time for us to do our Indians player spotlight. Um, this is kind of Mark's area of expertise, so who, who are you looking at? Today I'll be talking about the most recent acquisition that the Indians have made, which is bullpender Tyler Clippard. Tyler Clippard is a 34-year-old right-handed pitcher. A uh, little bit of stats for you. He's built up a 13.7 career war. He's 52-46 and 46 in his career, and he has a lifetime average of a 3.16 ERA. Uh, so we invited him to a non-roster invite, uh, which is a minor league deal. I believe if he makes the roster, the most he can earn is $1.75 million. Uh, so it's a very, very low risk uh, with a medium type of reward. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a two-time All-Star. Uh, Pitch-wise, he has a fastball in the low to mid-90s, and he uses his change-ups a lot to keep guys on their toes. Uh, he has a deceptive delivery as well. A lot of you might know him from the bigger goggles that he wears while pitching. Okay. Uh, he's very, very durable. He hardly misses games with injuries, pitches a lot of innings, which is something the Indians, I think, will definitely play to their advantage since their arms in the bullpen are not exactly the strongest at the moment. Uh, he had a bad year in... Uh, Houston in 2017, but he bounced back pretty well in Toronto uh, last year. So I think he could kind of shore up our bullpen. He might be our number three guy, which is unfortunate behind hand and behind uh, Salazar. Yeah. Uh, so if now that is if Salazar's going to be uh back from injury i don't i don't believe he is but mm. if he if he is you know he i definitely think he'd be right there um so yeah i i think adding more arms is better than keeping the talent level that we have clippard's a guy who's shown that he's can do it in the past so as long as he keeps what he had last year in toronto i think he would be a really good cheap affordable signing for us yeah add a little little depth to the bullpen now you think salazar is gonna they're gonna finally convert him more to a more bullpen role yeah from here on out he'll always be a bullpen guy there i don't think there will be any more questions about that i mean he's had shoulder injuries and yeah keep him limited in the amount of pitches he's had uh and i think he could be really really effective uh reliever 
Yeah, I, sure. I agree. He throws hard. It, it does seem like he just kind of, like you said, he has the injuries, and then it seems like sometimes he gets gas, and when he does, he just gives up home runs. But when he's fresh, he can throw really hard and pitch really well. So I, yeah. think, I think that is a good spot for him. I don't know if he likes that role, but he I think he better deal with it if he wants to prolong his, his career for sure. Yeah, and there's not a spot in the rotation for him to even pick when he yeah. comes back. So, I mean, he's sure. really got no choice. I, I believe he'll be fine. He's done it in the past, so I don't think there will be any issue. I just hope he, we can get a good answer as to if and when he'll be back healthy and ready to go because we, we need some juice in the bullpen. Sure. So. That's going to wrap up our Indians talk for today. Uh, Coming up in just a second, we're going to go over the games of the week, and then we're going to finish up with our hot takes like every episode. All right, so now we're going to just talk about a few games of the week coming up this week here in the NBA. Uh, The first game... I think you should circle on your calendar if you're trying to watch is going to be Boston. They're taking on Toronto at Toronto. That could be some high stakes type of game there for some playoff positioning. Mm -hmm. So that'd be a really good game. Definitely try and catch that. Uh, That same night, actually right afterwards, it's going to be the Oklahoma city thunder, which has, I believe the front runner at MVP, Paul George. Taking on Dark Horse MVP candidate Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. And then finally on March 1st, which is Friday, the Milwaukee Bucks travel out to the Los Angeles Lakers to take on LeBron and the young kids. That should be a pretty good game with LeBron, quote-unquote, activating playoff mode, which is one of the stupidest stupidest things I've ever heard. Here's one thing I want to say about that playoff mode. That makes him look so bad because it's what that stupid. says is he hasn't tried the rest of the, right. the, the previous part of the season. He, that's admitting that you just kind of half-assed it up to this point. Pretty much. And yeah. that is so bad. You, you're, you're supposed to be giving it your all at all times. That's what you get paid to do. I know he's older. It's it's kind of like it's, it's a strategy to preserve your body for the playoff run. But you know what? He's at a point now where he's in danger of not even making it to the playoffs. So at that point, is it worth it to be in that cruise control mode until this part of the year? I think that's, that's something that was, he's, he's kind of had in Cleveland. Yeah, it, it is annoying. He, he kind of had it in Cleveland. Now he's good enough to where even in that cruise control, he's, he's going to put up good numbers. He's going to be effective, but it's just, it's just sad when you see the greatest player, you know, or supposedly the greatest player in the NBA, taking it easy for the first half of the season. Yeah, he's setting a good example for those young kids. Exactly. Um, And then lastly, on Saturday, UFC 235, you got John Jones taking on Anthony Smith. Definitely going to try and catch that if I can. That's going to be a great fight. Uh, Big, nice card on there. So definitely check that out if you're able. And that's going to do it for the games of the week. If you've listened to any of our previous episodes, I think you can guess what's coming up next. Oh my god! Uh, oh my god! Fire! Oh, fire! Oh my goodness! Oh my god! Okay, it's happening! Everybody stay calm! What's the Everybody procedure, everyone? What's the procedure? Stay calm! All right, it's time for us to give our hot takes of the week. I'm going to start off with mine. I think Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown are going to reunite in Indianapolis on the on the Colts. Wow. I think they could really they could really use a running back. Marlon Marlon Mack doesn't do it for you? No. No wow. he doesn't. Wow. And if the Browns have shown you anything, you can't have too many good running backs on your team. And Le'Veon Bell is obviously one of the best and I think you know they have TY Hilton but He's if not they, Antonio Brown. He's not Antonio Brown, and I think you add those two weapons. I, th- I think if the Colts go out and make those moves and bring in both of those guys, they got they get, they're real contenders. Hmm. And not that they weren't. You know, obviously Andrew Luck had a really good comeback this year, and I think they could r- take a much bigger step next year if they were go out 
and make that move. And I could see that being a possible, you know, landing spot for both of them. Interesting, interesting. I, I like the the pairing definitely with Luck. It was it was between them and the 49ers. Um, I think the same thing could go for them. Um, I think they're a team that could look at either of or both. But I think if you're going to look at which of those situations would be realistic for both of them to go to, I think it would be the Colts. Colts have the most money to spend in free agency this year, so they can pay both guys what they want. Absolutely. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, My hot take is actually going to be a little bit different than what we've done in the past. I'm going to do a UFC hot take. My hot take is Daniel Cormier who said he would retire in March of this year. Uh-huh. He's come out and he's backed off on that. I'm going to say he will have three more fights in the UFC. None of them will be a trilogy match against John Jones. I believe that Cormier is going to fight Brock Lesnar, followed by Stipe Miocic, followed by mm-hmm. Francis Ngannou. And I think once all that stuff happens, I believe Jones will either one lose his belt at light heavyweight and the trilogy match is no longer needed or two jones will once again fail a drug test and will be out of the sport Hmm. by suspension yeah i first of all i can't believe brock lesnar is still around yeah he he is a showman. He makes money. That yeah. is what he does, and he's good at it. He's good at it. So, the only the only chance I think of me seeing him fight because I don't really follow the UFC, but uh, Stipe Miocic, he's the he's the uh, Cleveland guy. Oh yeah. So I would probably have some investment in that fight. But yeah, it's kind of weird with with the the fighters UFC and boxing and their retirement. It's like. They say they retire, but they never really do. How many times has Floyd Mayweather oh, retired yeah. and come back to fight? You know, it, it's it's a very... It doesn't hold a lot of weight when you say you're, you're retired and fighting because it seems like they always come back for more. Yeah, guys guys in the combat sports like that always have the itch to come back. and I mean, Chuck Liddell's 47 years old and just fought. I have 42 or 43-year-old Tito Ortiz not too long ago. So guys just get the itch to come back. And a lot of them aren't very smart with the money. A lot of them don't make a whole lot of money. So, uh, but yeah, that is our Hot Takes of the Week. We want to thank you all for listening. As always, check out our Twitter and Facebook pages. Both are at cardi akron kids click follow and like so you can stay updated with the show we just did our first giveaway and we plan to do a lot more as we grow so spread the word we are on youtube itunes and spotify so thank you again and we'll see you next time